The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's 10 minutes after 8, so you can give us a call today on 0891-104-208. You can also SMS the show on 34701. Today in conversation with Justice Edwin Cameron. Now, Nelson Mandela called him one of South Africa's new heroes. That was at the launch of, its, of his previous book. And now his latest book opens with a quotation from our former leader. I'd, I'd like to read it for you this morning. The president says here, even the most benevolent of governments are made up of people with all the propensities for human failings. The rule of law, as we understand it, consists in the set of conventions and arrangements that ensure that it's not left to the whims of individual rulers to decide on what is good for the populace. The administrative conduct of government and authorities are subject to the scrutiny of independent organs. This is an essential element of good governance that we have sought to build into our new constitutional order. It was, to me, never reason for irritation, but rather a source of comfort when these bodies were asked to adjudicate on my actions of my government and my office and judged against. The former president, Nelson Mandela, opening the book, uh, the new book by uh, Chief Justice, by Justice uh, Edwin Cameron. Now, I spent a few days with the book. It's a, it's a gripping read, a rather revealing account of one man's personal experiences with the law, told by a constitutional court justice who still to this day remains the only public office bearer on the continent to publicly disclose to his HIV status. It's an honor to welcome him into my studio this morning. Justice Cameron, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Morning, Darshan. Wonderful to be with you and with your listeners. Was it, an important, was it important for you to open with this quotation in your book? It's pivotal because the pivotal feature of our transition and of our country and of, our, of us as South Africans is, I think, the Constitution. And the Constitution says... We have agreed standards and values and aspirations which are embodied in it. And we will be governed, all of us, judges, public, corporations, government, by those values. And that's what President Mandela was saying there. To be lauded with praise from from Nelson Mandela, that's high praise. How did it make you feel? It was wonderful. And, of course, he was praising me for my book about AIDS, uh, uh, Darshan, which Mm. was one of the very painful issues in our transition. And I think he was trying to support my public statement, my fight against stigma with uh, organizations like the Treatment Action Campaign and, of course, with those other organizations also for treatment. Well, let's get to today's book, Justice, a Personal Account. It's been available since the beginning of the month, uh, I believe. So how's it been doing so far, do you know? Well, my publishers are very pleased. They say that orders far exceed what they expected, and I hope people are finding it available. It's also available for people with uh, Kindle and Android devices in case the bookshops don't have it. I see that. It is available on ebook. It It was a little bit difficult to find it, I'll admit. I, I had some trouble here in Johannesburg, but I did manage to pick it up uh, on my way through Cape Town when we were returning from the State of the Nation address. So if you do have a copy, if you want to see it and you haven't seen it, just log on to Twitter. You can see the picture that I tweeted of my copy of the book. It's, it's rather worn. Uh, I have had it for a couple of days and have gone through. It's a soft cover book, around 300 pages, published by Tafelberg, uh, and is uh, available at most good bookstores uh, for around 220 rand. How much input did you have into, into the actual look and feel of the book? Because it, it, it's, it's quite something to look at. Yes. Uh, you know, you've got to give your publishers, they're the professionals. They decided on the cover picture. Uh, one of my family members said, you look very old. <laughs> and the publishers said, no, this is as well. So I went with my publishers on that. Yeah, great pictures as well. I mean, there's also a great picture on the back, which, which I love to look at. It's a picture of you dressed in your constitutional court robes, uh, walking with, with uh, a clerk of the court. A cl- and a, my, my law clerk, Pusisiwe Dei, who's now working in Cape Town at Gender Dynamics. 
And it's a lovely picture. It was taken from the top of the court's gallery. And Busi and I are in genuine deep conversation after a case. And we captured there. And it's, it is a beautiful picture. So it's not a pose. This is an actual event that, that we're watching here. So you can have a look at the book. There's uh, pictures on Twitter that I've tweeted this morning after both the back and the front of the book. Uh, I saw in the book, Alison Lowry was uh, your editor. What's it like to work with an editor? Well, she's, she's a tough editor. She's very experienced. And it's, it, it was a pleasure to me. And I, in fact, asked my publishers, I said, please get me some tough-minded editors. Uh, but as it turned out, both the editors, they appointed Hannes von Sal and Alison Lowry, very much like the, the, the text as they got it. Any arguments uh, during the, the, the book coming out? None at all. Not at all. But, I mean, you say she was a tough editor, though. Yes. I, I can't imagine tougher than a constitutional court justice. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. So, but no arguments about the book. It was easy Not at all. There, there, there was there was agreement about the contents and about the the, the format. Very what, much so. One of the interesting things I still want to get into the substance of the book, but one of the very useful parts of the book, and and for those researchers, scholars, students out there, I think we need to mention this. There's an index of persons and an index of subjects. You got it um, put together by George Clarkson, one of our our great science journalists out there at Stellenbosch great. University. Uh, a very difficult task, I'm sure, that you placed on him here. Yeah. I think an index is vital, Darshan, because especially with a law book, a law book that you want to make accessible to people, and we, we did a lot of trouble with the index. George did a wonderful job so that you can find almost any topic of law, politics, society, sociology that you want. If it's mentioned in the book, you'll find it in the index. So very helpful this morning. If you are looking through the book, uh, you can see an index of persons and an index of subjects as well, an important feature for this book. There's really no shortage of praise that comes in for uh, for, for your book, and, and you mentioned Sir Sidney Kentridge. It's one of the prominent uh, quotations on here from uh, the, uh, the, the one of South Africa's incredible barristers, I think we can call him that. He played a leading role uh, both in, uh, in the 1956 treason trial of uh, Nelson Mandela and the 1977 Biko inquest. Uh, of justice, a personal account, uh, Sir Kentridge says, a remarkable integration of fascinating, often moving personal memoir professional reminiscence and acute historical analysis of South African law, politics and society. A tribute, I'm sure, means quite a bit to you. It does indeed, Darshan, particularly because uh, Sir Sidney was one of our first uh, constitutional court justices. He acted in the court for a year after it was founded. He came back to South Africa from London, this great lawyer who took part in the fight against apartheid through the legal system, which I describe in the book. And, of course, his endorsement meant the more for that. What was your motivation to write the book? Darshan, I wanted to write a book that is accessible to the average listener, the people listening to us this morning. That is not a law book. It's not a technical book. Mm. It's not an obscure book, not in highfalutin language that explains how our constitution came about, how we made the transition from an unjust system to a system that has all these wondrous aspirations and one that explains it in, accessible, in an accessible way, through accessible words, with a lot of vivid instances and, and, and I hope engrossing cases. And that's what I tried to do. But I decided to put it in a very personal voice. So the, the, the reader has me right next to her or him all the time, explaining the cases, explaining my part uh, in, in, in um, my own history as a person living with HIV, a gay man, someone who worked against apartheid through the legal system. That voice is there, but the real point of the book is to explain our wonderful constitution. 
Well, if you do have a copy of the book or want to get a copy of it, uh, if you open up to the contents page, divided into seven chapters, broadly explore, uh, exploring what uh, what the justice calls our big-spirited constitution. And, and I want to get into that kind of discussion about our constitution. From the very beginning, uh, the justice talks about uh, the constitution. It's clear that this is more than just some dry analysis of the constitution. It's not very dense. There's a very personal experience with the law that's being told here. And in chapter one, you start with two encounters that you had with the law, one more personal than the other. Uh, tell us about those two experiences. Well, Darshan, uh, my very first encounter with the law was just before I turned eight. My elder sister, Laura, had been killed in a cycling accident. It was a very traumatic time for me, my mother, and my uh, sister, Jeannie. Uh, and our father wasn't around. But he arrived at the funeral of Laura, and he came into the back row of the, of the funeral chapel, but he was between two uniformed warders. And I thought he was in Zondervater. I thought it was a rehabilitation center for alcohol, alcoholics. But in fact, he'd been sentenced for car theft. He was a criminal brought to the funeral of his, of his elder daughter and sitting between two warders there. This left a very profound impression on me. I describe it in the book. But mm. the question it raised for me, what is the law? Is the law for punishment only or is it something much more complex and something with much more creative and positive potential. And the law was something very different in the past. I want to quote again from the book. On, on page 25, the very beginning of the book, uh, you talk about wrestling with judgments and, and others even more opaque. I used to wonder why judges couldn't write clearly and understandably. The most important job of a judgment is to be clear. The public whom it affects must be able to, able to understand it. This lesson has, I hope, stayed with me during my own 20 years as a judge. I've tried to remember that judges write for people, not for lawyers. Yes, I think that's important. And I must say, I think all members of the judiciary have been doing better, Darshan. We used to be very obscure. We used to be very, I think, use rather uh, obscure legal language, difficult legal concepts. We now reach out and make an attempt to make ourselves more comprehensible. I want to talk about the level of intimacy that you go into this book, and, and we'll do that. Uh, 34701, if you'd like to SMS us. Bomela's called in, our first caller for you, uh, calling in from Mangaung this morning. He has the book, so uh, let's find out what Bomela thinks of it. Bomela, good morning. Good morning, Darshin, and good morning to the Justice. Morning, Bomela. Yeah, I, I, I just want to say I do have a copy of the book. I got it from airport uh, in Joburg. It's an and, excellent and read. Yeah, what did you think of it? Yo, it's an excellent read. What I like about it is uh, the manner in which uh, Judge Cameron sets himself, himself out and uh, in, in explaining how he has extricated himself out of his own personal circumstances to having become this brilliant uh, lawyer. You know, I'm a lawyer myself, and uh, uh, very soon I'll be joining the bar. I was very, very encouraged by the way and the manner in which they were, have waged the war against apartheid using the same legislation which apartheid has uh, sought to, you know, mm. uh, 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 take control and take charge of, uh, you know, the country's affairs. You know, the manner in which he was describing the judges who presided over matters mm. they were brought, they were bringing against apartheid unjust laws. One particular judge of interest was Judge Rumf. He is quoting, you know, uh, often in the book. It's a very excellent read. Thank you. Bromella, thanks for that call then, Mango. So, good response so far. Yes, I'd very much like to respond to Bumela, yeah. but first of all, I want to say congratulations to Bumela for qualifying as a lawyer yes. and being about to join the bar, and I, I, I know 
that Pomela is going to become one of our advocates of justice, advocates of constitutionalism. And thank you very much for your call. You raise a number of important things, Pomela, and, and the first is that I do make the book very personal, but everything I say in the book is to try to make an outside point. And I mentioned the poverty in which I grew up because many people think all whites mm. had it easy or were rich. I was a poor white, but I benefited because I was white. I make that point. And male, critically, wasn't it? Because exactly. your sisters didn't benefit as much from the great education that, that you were offered because you were a white male. Precisely. I was a boy, mm. and therefore I was privileged. And the second point that Bormela raises, which I think is very important, is that our legal system, our constitution, comes from a past where the law was used to oppress and to suppress and to inflict injustice. But we took the best from it. We took the fact that human rights lawyers like Chief Justice Arthur Chaskelson, like Sir Sidney Kentridge, like Chief Justice Lunger, like Nelson Mandela, that they fought against apartheid under the legal system. That left a crucial foothold for us to create our constitution after the transition. There was a question that was uh, tweeted to me earlier on. Is... Do you really believe that we're equal under the law? It was a question I think that a lot of people would want to ask a, a, a justice, someone who sits at the highest uh, bench in the country. I mean, do you think we're all equal under the law? No. I have to hang my head in shame, Darshan. I sit, as you say, in mm. our country's highest court. We are not equal under the law. Rich people get better access. If you're poor and you get to the Legal Resources Center or Section 27 or one of the legal organizations, you'll be able to get representation. But the great majority of people don't have representation. Another confession I must make as a constitutional court justice is that we haven't realized our aspirations. Mm. We've got an equality clause. We've got a non-discrimination clause. We haven't achieved that yet. But that's part of the point of the book, that it's up to us. The Constitution creates the structures. It sets out the values. And in that, the Constitution is fundamentally a promising and a sound mechanism for us as South Africans to create more equality and to create less discrimination and more dignity. And that's uh, an answer for you, Muzi Mbata, who wrote in that uh, question this morning. At about 6 o'clock, he tweeted us that question. Uh, Chinemo Elias also uh, tweets about this this morning. He says, what do you think about the justice of South Africa? Because as far as I'm concerned, this constitution favors, as you would say, uh, justice, only the rich people and the people in power. They get away with crimes and corruption. Are there any drastic measures which are being taken to thwart, to thwart this? There's no justice in South Africa, particularly for the poor. What is he and others in power planning to do about it? Well, I think it's a good question. And I think the sense of outrage and indignation uh, that, that, that your listener is expressing is justified, Darshan. But we've got to get there. There, there is still an, an imbalance in the access and the way that rich and poor are treated. But the Constitution creates a set of aspirations which we are busy implementing through the Constitutional Court. Now, I want to say to you that the people who appear before us are by no means only the wealthy and the powerful. Many people who appear before us get pro bono representation. This week in our court, we've had many uh, people without the resources, without the means, who've come before us with lawyers representing them for free or with public interest organizations representing them. And many of the cases that find their way onto our role are, in fact, by people who are claiming protection from the Constitution because they haven't had it. Well, let's get into the conversation about the Constitution because in, in the closing chapter of the book you say uh, the Constitution's lofty language and vaulting aspirations certainly won't see us through some of the problems that we've outlined already. The Constitution is not self-executing. It needs us to give it life, us the citizens, us the inhabitants of South Africa, young and old, male and female, rural 
and urban township and suburb dwellers. Now, for some, they may, may say, well, that, that itself is a, is a lofty aspiration for the Constitution to deliver that, because some would say, well, we've, we, we compromised on this Constitution. That's one critic, and you talk about the two camps, ones who say, well, we've compromised on this Constitution, and the others who say, well, we've given too much power, dictatorial power to those who do wield the Constitution at their beck and call. So where, where do you sit on this debate? Let me tell you why that's not too aspirational, Darshan. One of the things we inherited from apartheid was a critical citizenry, a critical, skeptical, angry citizenry. Mm. Our people took to the streets almost every day towards the end of apartheid, and we've inherited that, and that's a good thing. So we have informed citizens, people listening to SAFM, people reading the papers, people following the social media, who are skeptical of government. And that's a good thing. They're skeptical of the courts. They're skeptical of the constitutional court. That's a positive thing. We don't have a quiescent, subservient, docile citizenry. And I'm calling us, all of us as South Africans, those of us who've got jobs like I have in the courts, those of us who are activists on the streets in organizations, political parties, I'm saying let's take what we have. We've got so much going for us. There's so much that's wrong. We can dwell on what's wrong. And we can spend the rest of the, 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 the hour doing that. But we've got so much going for us. We only have to take it as South Africans and make it work. And the Constitution offers us the mechanisms, offers us the structures, and offers us the values. But if the Constitution's compromised as a start, for those critics, they say, how can we take something that's a compromised document and then try and build a future on it? In the book, you also quote uh, Irvin Jim from NUMSA, and you say, here's someone that talks about property rights in South yes. Africa, saying that here, once again, we've compromised on it. Yes, indeed, and it's a fair point. The, crit the critics, as you say, from both sides, there's one set of critics say this, the Constitution was a putsch by communists in the ANC who just wanted to get uh, a total government authoritarian right. power. On the other side, skeptics say, well, the Constitution was this uh, whitewash, and you can say whitewash because <laughs> yeah, of, of the racial connotations, mm. and it gave no power to the people. I don't agree with those critics, but I think it's important that we hear their voices because we must understand and we must continue to be humble in applying the Constitution. I think, in fact... The Constitution was a very fine compromise, a workable compromise, and a compromise that over the last 20 years has begun to prove itself. Let's see if we can squeeze in Greg's call here, calling in from Cape Town. Greg, good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, the, the question of the Internet, I'll try to be brief. Sure. The Internet has outpaced the Constitution and most constitutions of the world. There's spying going on between countries, and what's even worse now, it turns out that the individual governments are spying on their citizens more and more, as you know. So I want to know, can our constitution handle that? If not, what are we going to do about it? Or, I mean, we have to address this. Mm. Greg, a great call there. And, and, and relevant to today, PwC releasing a report in the next hour or two that's going to be talking about South Africa, one of the top destinations in the world for crimes, cybercrime particularly. And money laundering. Mm. Yes. Darshan, I think Greg, Greg is right to raise the question, and the Constitution has got the values. That's the point about the Constitution. It hasn't got all the answers, but it shows us the pathway. The Constitution says you have the right to privacy. And when that case comes before the courts, through the high courts, up to the Constitutional Court, we will try to provide the answers, mm. and we will try to provide the answers on the basis of the Constitution. 34701, if you'd like to SMS us more questions, uh, if you have comments as well on the book, Justice, 
a personal account written by uh, Constitutional Court Justice Edwin Cameron in conversation with him this morning. 34701, your SMS hotline. Tweet or Facebook the show, AM Live on SAFM, AM Live on SAFM. Give us a call as well, 0891104208. A very unique opportunity, a great privilege being afforded to us and to you today to get a chance to speak to a Concord judge. How often do we get to do that? Here's your chance. If you have a question, do call in or write in. It's exactly 8.30 now. Time for your news headlines with Vibakshini Chetty. Well, it's just about 27 minutes to 9. Rowena Bird comes up with Morning Talk. What's on the show today, Rowena? Good morning, Darshan. But first, before I tell you what's coming up on the show, I must say that I'm thoroughly enjoying your conversation with Justice Edwin Cameron. I, I think he's a man, and I join millions of South Africans who, who, who just hold him in total awe. I so look up to him, and I think South Africa is the country that it is. It's a better country because of people like him. So thank you for that conversation. Anyway, getting back to morning talk, here's what's coming up. We have our open line between 9 and 10. And one can never quite preempt and anticipate what will come through during the open line. And, uh, and, and, and I think that, for me, is the beauty of the open line. It's the unpredictability of this hour, which keeps me on my toes, and I quite enjoy that. In the second hour, we will talk about a proposal by Saktu as well as Kosatu for the rich and the super rich to be taxed more. What are the implications of this? And we'd like to know what your thoughts are on this proposal, which has been put to the Davis Tax Commission. We'll also look at illegal mining. It's problematic, not only in South Africa, but across the continent. And it, it was a part focus of the mining in Daba, which took place in Cape Town recently. So we'll dig out the truth about that, no pun intended there. And lastly, on our African perspective slot, we're going to talk about the recent lifting of sanctions on eight Zimbabwean officials by the EU and they excluded President Robert Mugabe and First Lady Grace Mugabe they are still on the embargoed list and we'll talk a little bit more about that with Dr. Chris Landsberg a little later so that's the show for today Darshan it's quite a mixed bag there's something for everybody thank you Darshan Thanks so much, Rowena. And, of course, in conversation with Justice Edwin Cameron today, once again, a great pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. What a pleasure. And thank you also to Rowena for her kind, generous remarks. Uh, you know, I think, you know, even if Abakshini was saying it when she came in for the news here, I think there's a lot of people out there that hope to meet Bono one day, maybe hope to meet Oprah, Richard Branson. I don't know, if you're in the business world, there's probably an idol for you. But for newsmakers like us, it's, it's actually quite a pleasure to speak to someone like you and, and an esteemed pleasure for us. Well, and it's wonderful for me to be here because I think the public that we serve are accessible through media like yours, Darshan. So I'm delighted to be here, and thank you very much mm. for the warm welcome. And as I said earlier, it's not a, an opportunity that you would have every day to speak to a constitutional court judge directly. You'd have to travel all the way to Bloemfontein to do it. But would you be able to do it today? Well, that's what we're going to give you a chance to do. If you have a question, pose it directly uh, to Justice Edwin Cameron. Have a conversation with him. Is there something you want to get across, a point that you want to make, something you've always wanted to say to a judge? Well, do so here today within limits, I imagine. 34701, you can SMS us or give us a call, 0891 I want to read, I want you to actually read a portion of the book. I've been reading quite a few portions from this book, but chapter three, I think for me, captures the point that I was trying to make in the beginning, that this is not just some dry analysis. It's actually a very personal, moving account. Could, could you read that chapter, that part of chapter three that, I, that I've highlighted there? It's page 100. And the second paragraph. The second paragraph, that's yes. right. Can I say before I read sure. it, Darshan, that, that the point of this passage 
is that so many South Africans experience this. I, I don't put it in because I thought I was special. I put mm. it in because I thought I wasn't special. And this is what I say. The fungus was stifling my breath. I lay awake at night trying to inhale. My lungs felt inefficient, distended, like balloons full of water. But what felt worse was another opportunistic ailment, gastrointestinal thrush. This thickly coated my mouth, tongue, throat and stomach. The fungus is often found in healthy people, where it causes no ill effects. But in my body's weakened state, it bullied itself into control, forming a furry white layer that made it difficult to chew or swallow. I lost my energy. I lost my appetite. And when I did manage to take in food, my stomach couldn't digest it. I was losing my weight as fast as my strength. I was beginning to get the gaunt AIDS look. I could not help thinking that fungus grows on de decaying bodies. My body was dying. It's been 27 years since you disclosed your status, your HIV status, back in 1999. Yes, I've, I've had the virus for nearly 27 mm. years, uh, Darshan, which itself is a good news mm. story. Uh, I spoke out publicly 15 years ago, but most importantly, I've been on antiretroviral treatment for nearly 17 years. And I'm very, very fit and healthy. I'm hoping to do the Cape Argus in, in two weeks' time. Very excited, my eighth Cape Argus. All of them done since I started on antiretrovirals. So the point of putting in that very, very personal and, and I think for many of your readers distressful, mm. distressful because many of them will have seen their own mothers and fathers and neighbors and community members experiencing the same. The point of it is to say that we've managed and we managed this epidemic because we had effective, principled activist organizations and we had a constitution and we had judges who were willing to enforce it. And now we have the world's biggest publicly provided antiretroviral treatment program, a triumph of values under law. I think in Chapter 3 you also say you spent almost a third of your judges' salaries in order to pay for your ARVs at the time when this government wasn't willing to provide it to you. Well, when the ARVs came out, they were fantastically expensive. And the treatment action campaign, Zaki Ahmad founded it in order to tackle the drug companies. But then they found they had to turn their attention to a government that wasn't willing to provide the drugs when they were becoming cheaper. And that was what led to the first great confrontation in the courts between President Mbeki and the Treatment Action Campaign. We've got Quena calling in from Rosebank, a candidate attorney. Quena, would you like to talk to the, to the Justice? The most honoured to do so. Good morning, Quena. Good morning, Justice. Are you? It's a pleasure to talk to you. Are you well? I am well, Justice. I am well. well Justice, I'd just like to bring your attention to the following. On August 2013, at the Wirt Range University in Johannesburg, yes. Uh, I and my principal, Mr. Temba Benedict Langer, yes. formed a panel with yourself yes. wherein we discussed the issues surrounding the Constitution. Yes. And then you had said that the Constitution has disappointed, but it remains our best hope. Correct. Now, Justice, you've also indicated during the conversation today, I'm going to try to be brief, that... Uh, our justice system is not, it's not, it's not affording equal everything and that there's good values enshrined within the Constitution. Yes. Coming from a candidate attorney's perspective, yes. you form a different generation. You're from a different generation, a different breed of judges, advocates and attorneys. Yes. And right now, the upcoming candidate attorneys like myself seem to be motivated via monetary wise. How then 
do we say that the very same uh, values that have been enshrined in the Constitution ever it came into since ever it came into force have to be engraved within us so as to better equip us to become the same breed, albeit in different times, as yourselves? Because the Constitution is there, it says dignity, equality, but we have justice and judges like yourselves who said, listen, we are not only going to preach this, but we are going to live it. In this environment that we are currently under, motivated by the bling industry, motivated by certain things, we find it different, uh, difficult as candidate attorneys to, to, to come from the same perspective and say, listen, we are for the law and not just for the silver and gold that comes behind it. Thank you for a, for a wonderful thought, Quena, and it, it, it's, it's so central because you as a young candidate attorney are carrying the future of our constitution unless you and your cadre, the, 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 young, the young incoming lawyers, the young incoming activists, take over that struggle and, 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 and take it into your hearts, then we will, we will not have a constitutional future. But I believe that people like you, we have many, many people who are conscientious, who are determined to realize our rights. And Quino, you raise the thing of money. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think money is shameful, but I think over-focus on money, over-focus on bling can be fun, we all enjoy mm-hmm. it, yes. but over-focus on it is difficult. And if we are going to have a legal system where lawyers are earning excessive fees, where lawyers are focused only on profits, fortunately we don't have that. We have many mm-hmm. public interest lawyers, many lawyers prepared to do pro bono work, mm-hmm. but we have to have more of them. And I think from what you're saying, Quena, that we can create that. We can create that commitment and that spirit amongst our young lawyers as well. Quena, how does that make you feel? I mean, to have those words from a, a Concord Justice, uh, you know, speaking to you directly, how, how does that make you feel? And words of, of praise as well for you and, and, and your cadres. It definitely makes me feel good. I yeah. believe that I'm preparing an affidavit right now. It's going to be spotless. <laughs> <laughs> Quena, good, good luck. Wonderful. Uh, thank you, Quena. Uh, Quena, I appreciate that call. Quena, Ed Rose uh, Van, candidate attorney. We've also got Anne Nupumalanga. Let's take her call. Anne, good morning. Good morning, and thank you for the opportunity of Most speaking welcome. to the Honorable Judge. Good morning, I would morning, like Anne. first to congratulate you on your stance against AIDS and for AIDS. Thank you so much, I think Anne. you are a wonderful person and a person who is actually a victim of it. I really think you are wonderful to, to come forward and give all that you have given in relation to the the spelling of age in our country. Uh, we need more people like you, but you are great. Um, I would like to ask you as a judge, I'm not, a, I'm not a, in any way re, uh, connected with, with law, but what does worry me is the fact that we had 43 minors in, in, in Maricana who died for the sake of, of getting better judge wages. We're in a country where there's a big gap between the haves and the have-nots. Here is an opportunity of the mines to try and, st- and, and, and uh, bridge that gap by paying these min- miners what they're asking for because they're not asking for too much. If they have a family, 12500 is nothing in comparison to what other people are living and, and in comparison to the cost of living today. What is your, uh, you, I hope you don't mind me asking, what is your opinion of the situation that the miners don't pay them out and why the country, our president and our 
lawgivers in the country doesn't demand that they are given the proper wage. You know, and I'm going to do a good loyally thing, and I'm going to duck your question. And the reason <laughs> I'm going to duck it <laughs> is because the Farlam Commission, my colleague Judge Ian Farlam, yes. has been charged with looking at exactly that. He's not just charged with looking at the 43 deaths, the tragic yes, deaths that yes, you refer to, yes, the yes. police action, the involvement of the companies. He's yes. also charged with looking at the social background. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to wait for his report. Oh, I see. Okay, no, I respect that, yes. Thank you, Okay, and thanks thank for you that, so thanks. much, and thank you for being on our program today. Thank thanks you, for that call today, Annan and Pramalanga. If you'd like to do the same, give us a call today, 891 SMSs to 34701. If you're a bit intimidated to talk to Justice Cameron yourself, it doesn't seem like you're, you're that intimidating. I, I can't imagine being... A, being when, when you're sitting at the Concord, though, it's like wearing a different hat. I imagine the robes and all of it. Exactly, and the whole formality, of mm. course. And, of course, the, the formality is useful because it makes sure that you focus solely on the arguments. There's no chit-chat. There's only pure argumentation. It's only the issues, only the litigants at stake. So one hopes that off the bench uh, that, 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 that the judges of the Concord are not intimidating. And I must say, all of my colleagues uh, have, have, have the same, I think, very personable approach to public engagements. And I think that's important. When you're not, uh, you know, reading through rafts of documents, law, policy, sitting at, uh, at the Concord, you're listening to radio, I know. You make that admission in the books. I, I, I know I've got my facts straight. And you listen to morning radio. Yes. I hope you're going to say SAFX. Yes, I certainly do. I have to tell you that I, I jump between stations, but I hear you every morning. Okay, and, and what, what, what is it that you're listening for? Because you make the point in the book that you listen to morning radio and you hear the calls from people just bemoaning the country, yes. bemoaning the constitution that yes. you fought for, that we struggled for yes. through vibrant debate. Yes, I think morning radio is very important because, as you said earlier, Darshan, it sets the agenda for the day. So when I go into work, go into the court in Bramfontein, I listen to it. I, I think that that sense of anger, that sense of disaffection, that sense of indignation is important. But people must realize that a lot of it is up to ourselves as South Africans. The Constitution itself has got the right values, it's got the right mechanisms, the right distribution of power. It's up to us as South Africans to make it work. We as lawyers and we as judges and we under the Constitution can't stop corruption. We can't create efficiency. We can't stop maladministration. We can give orders when people come to our courts. But the actual realization of the Constitution is up to an act of citizenry. You make quite a few arguments here in the book about what we've achieved in this democracy. But you say perhaps more than those of us who tend to worry realize we've made some of these achievements. Violent crime still disturbingly high, endlessly upward wave that terrified us in the late 1990s has not come about. Compared to 1994, the murder rate in our country is almost halved, though poverty is still pervasive. People's lives are mostly better. Government's housing program has put millions of South Africans into their own homes. In 94, just over half of households had electricity. Now 85% do. In 1994, just more than one-third of six-year-olds were in school. Now 85% are. So a lot of achievements that have been made yeah. through this constitution here in South Africa, but at the same time, there's, there's critics out there who yes. say, well, here's the problems and we need them fixed, and the constitution's not doing it. Well, the critics are right that the problems need to be fixed, and the critics are right, Darshan, that we're not doing enough. We are not where we should be. Now, isn't the Constitution, as, as you read earlier, is not self-executing. The Constitution doesn't say, here, South Africans, is a Christmas gift, unwrap it, there's your future, and live it right now. The, the Constitution offers a pathway to that future, and it's up to us to realize it. The important point that I argue for in, 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 the, in the book, 
is that the Constitution has basically proved itself for 20 years. It's only 20 years. It's still a teenager, just barely out of its teenage years. But the values in it, the mechanisms in it, and the judiciary that enforces it have, have so far stood the test of time. Hmm. We've got uh, Indile calling in from King Williamstown, an unemployed South African, like 25% of us are out there. Indile, good morning. Thank you for your time. Hello. Hi, good morning. Welcome to the show. Yes, good morning, sir. I just want uh, to understand if there any provision for, I, I hear that you are talking about mostly the criminal case. Uh, with me is the labor case, whereby I'm struggling to get my case heard by the labor court. Yes. Uh, when the, the, the Satao lawyers decided uh, to take my case out of the role. So uh, is there any way that I can, because it's a case of unfair dismissal, and it was supposed to have gone through to the arbitration. It did not. It was referred to the labor court, and the, the lawyer decided for his own reason and without the consultation uh, to address the case. I think the judge can help me if I can get someone to assist me as well. I'm currently unemployed and Stay on the line. Let's let's uh, have. Well, Nadila, I'm I'm really sorry to hear about the frustrations that you have. Uh, I'm not able to help you with them, Nadila, because your case is already in the court system. I won't be able to intervene. Have you gone back to your union, back to Satabu, and asked them why the lawyer has done this that, that that you are dissatisfied with your case? I think that is what you should do, and you should demand that the lawyer and the union should get your case back onto the roll. That's what it sounds to me you need to do, because you feel dissatisfied that the case has been removed from the roll. But I won't be able to help you with that, Nedile. Nedile, thank you very much for your calling, King Williamstown. I imagine there's others like him out there yes. saying, how can I access the courts? I, I don't know how, I don't know where to start. How do I even get a lawyer to defend me if, you know, if I have an unfair dismissal case? What do we do? Well, it goes back to the point that Quinn, the candidate attorney from Rosebank, made earlier. We have to make the justice system more accessible. And the justice system is very difficult to access. For most people, unless you're a member of a union or of an organization or you have a pro bono legal representation, it's very difficult to get your case to court. One of the things that the legal, we've got a very fine legal profession, a well-organized legal profession, a very proficient and well-qualified legal profession. But one of the challenges for the legal profession is to provide more pro bono services and make the law more accessible to more South Africans. It is a major challenge. More SMSs coming in. James and Polakwan is saying, please congratulate the judge for establishing the AIDS Consortium. It's doing great work in Limpopo, especially in the Mopani district, uh, Justice. Khabo uh, Maitisa writes in saying, good morning, Justice Cameron. What is your stance about Chapter 6 of the Companies Act 71 versus Chapter 11 of the U.S. Bankruptcy Act? I don't know if you have those books with you today, but constitutionally speaking, she's asking what you think. I hope that is joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. If, if you're not joking, I don't mean to minimize your question, but I don't have the on-air expertise to give you a sensible answer right now. Well, Khabo, if you know, what is your question based on? Obviously, there's some grappling between the two laws there. So just write in and, and ask us, uh, you know, what you'd like us to discuss here. Daniel MPE says, please ask the judge's view on greed, a fueled rise in medical litigation, extortion, threatening to destroy our health system. I think Kwane also mentioned this uh, aspect of, you know, that the calling is no longer there. It's the calling of money that seems to be pulling us into this profession. Well, of course, 
litigants who, uh, who need lawyers, uh, often the lawyers can overreach them. We've had cases before us where lawyers have charged exceptionally high fees. And sometimes a new area of litigation, it used to be road accident fund, some, and now people are claiming and some public office bearers are claiming that the new area where lawyers are descending in order to make enrich themselves is medical negligence. I don't know whether Daniel is correct in that, but he's, he's picking up that, uh, he's picking up that, that, that public concern. This book comes out ahead of our elections, and it's a probably a critical time in, in any democracy, critical for us here in South Africa. Uh, this morning during the news, we're here in Zanspreit, tires still smoldering after being set alight last night, service delivery protests across the country. In the book, you make mention of it as well. SABC statistics show 2012, the highest number of protests in the country so far since our democracy. A huge concern, while people like Adilo who write in and say, I don't have a job, 25 5% of us don't have a job. 30 somewhat percent if you take the expanded definition. How critical is your book going into this election period? And, and does it help us understand a bit more the playing field that we're dealing with? I hope so, Darshan. I want to say something about the service delivery process. We see the rage. We see the destructive rage of people. And I think that rage comes partly because the people in those protests know that we should be doing better. We are failing them. We are failing ourselves. There should be better. There's no need for us to have this extent of poverty. We're a middle-income country. Our delivery should be better, and that is what I think is fueling the rage. But the important thing about those service delivery processes is that they are they're not asking for a replacement of the system. They're demanding that the system work better for them. So they're not a rejection of the government or the constitution. They're just saying to the system, we demand that you start functioning effectively. And that is not an unreasonable demand. We've got our final caller for you this morning, Fazisa, calling in from KZN this morning. Fazisa, where in KZN are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Ishawe. From, from Ishawe, okay. Yes. So what, what is your question for uh, the justice this morning? Um, I'd like to find out what medication he's taking because I'm HIV positive for 14 years. And I took medication for 18 months, and it was very, very um, bad for me. The side effects almost killed me. So what is medication is he taking that he's been on for 17 years, and he's fine? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about the difficulty, Fazisa. I'm really, really sorry, because those side effects can be terrible, and I'm glad that you're very attentive to them. Uh, Fazisa, I'm taking a combination called Truveda and Navarapine. It's two tablets of Navarapine, one tablet of Truveda every morning. Truveda's got two drugs. The one is Tenofovir, and the other one is a drug whose multisyllables I, I often forget. But mm. that has worked extremely well for me. Most people don't take Navarapine. Uh, they, they, they take another non-nuclear NNRTI. Uh, uh, mm. But that's well, what I'm taking, and it's worked extremely well for Fazisa, me. I think the best thing you can do, though, is do consult a medical practitioner. because Go back to your doctor. Go back to your clinic. I did, speak. I did. And I what did, did they say, And um, I ended up stopping taking ARVs because after doing research, I found out that nevarapine causes the same symptoms that AIDS causes. Fazisa, I don't want to go into that debate now. I've taken nevarapine for many, many years, and it's worked for me. I also took AZT for many years. I know people... There are skeptics out about that. My personal experience, and I can't speak as a medical authority because mm. I'm not, has been that both those drugs have worked for me. Because you need to find the drugs that work for you. Fazisa, I know a lot of us often rely on our own research, you know, going home and Googling, but I think we need to rely on medical knowledge here. Go to see a medical practitioner, and if you're not getting the help from the clinic or medical practitioner that you're seeing currently, go for a second opinion. Go for a third opinion if you need to. Because That's what I've been doing. 
That's what I've been doing. And the best, what's worse for me was stopping the medication and focusing on nutrition. Well, Fazisa, all, all I want to say is, is that, that, that we had a recent tragedy with, with a very beautiful member of, of our public, uh, Ms. Mutsepe, who mm-hmm. also stopped. I don't know the, the, the medical details of her case, but please be careful. Mm-hmm. I, I say it in your own interest. Please be careful. Nutrition alone does not work for AIDS. The only thing that works for HIV in the end is medication. I accept that we need to find the right combination for you, as Darshan says, Get help with that, but please, I beg of you, don't trust nutrition alone. Fazisa, thank you very much. For, thank you very much for calling in this morning, Fazisa and KZN. Let's, you know, hearing her calling in reminds me of, of Gugu Dlamin. Mm. Now, mm. here's a woman who also called into a radio station to talk about her, her HIV status. She did it on a Zulu language station. Exactly. And, and actually, the, the events that, that followed that was motivation for you to come out exactly. with, with your HIV status. On the 1st of December 1998, uh, Gugu Dlamini spoke out on a, on a KZN a radio station, speaking out about her HIV status, and three weeks later, Members of her own community stabbed and stoned her to death. And that was the trigger when I spoke out four or five months later, Darshan, about my own HIV status, because I thought if Gugu Lamini, living so unprotected, can do it, me with all my privileges as a judge, my protections, my suburban safety, I thought I had to do it as well. But I might say, uh, Darshan, that Gugu's daughter, Mandisa, uh, is carrying on her work and doing it very powerfully. So Gugu's legacy, that legacy, the, the, the terrible death she suffered because of stigma and fear, that legacy has been turned into a good news story by her own daughter. And I think that's a lesson for us as South Africans, that from the tragedy of AIDS, we have moved to one of the world's best publicly provided uh, antiretroviral treatment systems. And that shows what we can do as South Africans. That success was achieved through the Constitution and the courts and through civil activism. But it shows what we can achieve in so many other areas as well. It's up to us. Homosexuality on the African continent, a key issue today as we see Uganda, for example, now banning homosexuality, following in, in the steps of Nigeria and other African countries, Gambia as well. And there's been volatile comments made by the leaders of these countries against homosexuals. There's really a war that's approaching many homosexuals in, in Africa. We're not a friendly place for, for homosexuals. What, what's your thoughts and stance on this? It, it's a terrifying uh, thing that's happening. There's a terrible backlash against the growing voice of, of gays and lesbians in Africa, Darshan. There's legislation, as you mentioned, in Nigeria. There's legislation in Uganda. The only good thing about this is that I believe the closet doors will never be closed again in Africa. In Malawi, in Nigeria, across West Africa, across Central and East Africa, LGBTI persons are coming out and saying, we are African, we are indigenous, this is the way we are. You must accept us and allow us to be citizens. That the Constitution recognized in South Africa, but it still needs to be recognized elsewhere on our continent. Here's a very moving SMS for you from Uzile who writes, And Justice Cameron, you're such an uplifting and consoling voice to listen to. You give me hope about our justice system and our Constitution. I've been directly affected by crime more than once, and I felt let down by the injustice when my attacker was found not guilty. It's left me angry and helpless, as I don't know who to lash out on. 
But hearing you liberates me and heals me, I'm definitely getting my hands on your book. Congratulations. Much love and blessings from Uzile. I'm sure that's a moving testimony. It's a moving testimony. And thank you very much, Uzile. There's a, another one from Andila Maxim who writes in saying, what's the title of the book? Great show, Judge Cameron, an inspiration to all jurists. Well, the, the title is Justice, a personal account. Was it a difficult title? It, 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 was, it was a play on my title as yes, a judge. Yes, of course. And then, but also to say it's a very personal account. Of, of the justice system and of the Constitution. Justice Cameron, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sasha. And thank you so much for those of you who wrote in your SMSs, tweets, Facebook comments. I really appreciate uh, your comments today. The book is available at all good bookstores. 220 Rand is a recommended selling price published by Tafelberg Publishers. Thank you very much for joining us. Join us again tomorrow, 6 to 9 a.m. here on AM Live. My name is Darshan Mudley. Much thanks to our producers who put together today's program and to Justice Cameron for joining me in the show. Do you appreciate it? You can continue the conversation. I imagine uh, Rowena is going to want to take your calls on this as well. A big fan of Edwin Cameron as well. Take care and have a wonderful day. Be safe today.